Hi, and welcome to the podcast Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with attorney Kelly Halligan Zimmerman. Hey, Marna. Hey, Hey. And Mike Derrick. Hey, good morning, Marna and Kelly. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Today's show has to deal with ethics and weddings, a very rich topic. So let's start with our first ethical dilemma. The first one has to do with a young woman who was planning her wedding and she invited a good friend and her good friend's husband. The wedding date got closer and her friend had not RSVP'd yet. So my hairstylist, who was the young woman, texted her, are you coming to the wedding? Her friend replied, yes, I'm coming to the wedding and my count is five. I'm also bringing my two kids and my mom. What do you think? If you're the bride-to-be, what do you do? Kelly, let's start with you. Oh, boy. Your poor hairstylist. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? Why doesn't she bring the neighbors? (laughs) I, I... It's really hard to know what to say. So your hairstylist is kindly inviting her friend and her husband, and somehow the numbers go way up, and your hairstylist has to chase her down, and it's this very stressful, emotional period where your friend has so much to do, and she's got to do this. (laughs) No, I think she just tells her, uh, I'm sorry, I, I just invited you and your husband, Um, We have a limited number of people that can attend. We have a certain size venue. And so will you and your husband be coming? And just leave it at that. Okay. I like that. Very straightforward. Mike, what do you think? Well, so I'll take an alternate approach here, given that I live in a very rural part of this country. Um where, you know, people still kind of like just stop by your house unannounced and say hello and, you know, you have them on the back porch for a glass of lemonade or a cold beer. And and so social norms up here are somewhat different. And, you know, again, we don't know all the details here, but sometimes when it's a very small town and somebody's getting married... um, you know, it's sort of the expectation that everybody's going to go. And um, so, again, we have to know more about the situation. We have to communicate well. Um, you know, it might be a question of budget. And so the hairstylist might say, hey, I'd love to have five, but, you know, I just can't. It's not in my budget. And and so then that conversation ensues. So sometimes it's a little different. I think with, you know, the the sort of the 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 expectations we see in the bridal magazines may not always apply when you get into uh, rural small communities. So I just throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Good point. Small town. Okay. Context is everything. So let's unpack this dilemma a little bit. Uh, first of all, the guest forgot to RSVP. That's kind of rude. The books but, will tell you. But that can happen. 
I mean, True. I, think, I think we've all done that. Sure. Um, the rule of thumb is when you get an invitation, you reply within 48 hours. That's two days. So um, people say, well, how do I know what's, what I'm doing in a month or six weeks? Well, you look at your calendar, and if it's free, you put wedding. That's what you're doing. And then you reply, yes. Uh, but for to have the the bride chase you down to see if you're coming or not, that's that's kind of rude. A. Um, B. The wedding invitation would have been addressed to the people who were invited. Usually, now this I'm speaking slightly more formal, not the type of situation Mike is talking about, small town wedding, where you've grown up with the same people, gone to church with them all your lives. But if they send out a wedding invitation, the envelope will be addressed to, like, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Brown. And then if there's an inner envelope, it may include the names of the children as well, indicating that they're also invited. Uh, As, you know, for me, I'm single and I'll occasionally get an invitation addressed to me. The outer envelope is addressed to me and the inner envelope says Miss Ashburn and guest. So in that case they are allowing me to bring a plus one, which is fine. So sometimes um, people wonder if their fiancé or girlfriend or boyfriend is invited along with them and and wonder if it's okay to call the host and say, hey, can I bring my girlfriend or boyfriend? And, um, I would say only do that if you are very good friends with the host um, and then approach it very gingerly because... If you've hosted a wedding, you know how elaborate uh, they sort of take on a life of their own. It gets more and more complicated. The expenses mount, and but there are a lot of details. And you know, as from a planner's point of view, you want to try to keep it simple and keep it within budget. So take that into consideration when you ask if you can bring someone. No, that makes good sense, and. Um... You know, that's a little more information. I just was kind of struck by the fact that, you know, you, in in our scenario, it reads, this is a good friend. So this isn't some, you know, work acquaintance or, you know, friend of a friend. This is someone that the bride-to-be knows well. And so, you know, that, that that sort of changes things a little. It's surprising they wouldn't have responded in the first place. Yeah. yeah, I just I think sometimes people get busy and don't pay attention or sometimes in the case of really close friends or family, they don't respond because they think it's assumed, you know, of course I'm going. <laughs> um, yeah, right. But the, the my count five, my count is five is, yeah, really over the top because it's not unusual in weddings where you have, you know, cousins that you're not as close to or second cousins that you'd love to be able to invite but you decide you can't because you can only have a certain number of people and you know your spouse has to have a certain number of people as well so decisions have to be made and then you get into well you're inviting cousin julie and the biogenetic equivalent on my side is laura so that's not fair (laughs) Yeah, things are already off to a bad start if you're doing that. Oh, I know. Yeah. Hold the phone. Weddings are fraught with that kind of thing. Absolutely. And also another thing I wanted to bring up is, is um, the assumption that children are invited. 
to an event. Uh, unless they're specifically invited, generally speaking, they're not invited. So make other arrangements. Absolutely. If they're invited, it will usually reference family, so-and-so and family, or the blank family. You know, all of this, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to air one of my pet peeves here. All of this reminds me of something that I just that drives me crazy in life, which is the way in which our society, and I, I don't know that we're unique here, but we, we often focus so strongly on weddings, on that day, on the event, on everything that happens. And we kind of overlook a lot of the important stuff, like the marriage that ensues. Exactly. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, I'm done. Yeah. No, you're right. I I totally think uh, it's gotten all out of proportion. Too much emphasis on the wedding, not enough emphasis on the commitment and the marriage to follow. That's right. That's really where the preparation should take place on that life together. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. As opposed to the ceremony. Yeah. Right. But well, Pinterest has taken over. The ceremony is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to know what my hairstylist did? Yeah, let's hear. She yeah. can't wait. Uh, they were texting, actually. She um, texting back and forth, which I think makes it a little easier. And my hairstylist said, when her friend said, I'm bringing my kids and my mom, my hairstylist texted back and said, it's nothing personal, but we have space limitations and budget limitations, and um, you really can't bring three extra people, so just you and your husband. And so her friend said, okay, and that was that. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, but I'm bringing my mom. <laughs> I don't want to bring my husband. <laughs> That's that's a whole nother scenario. Wait, wait, wait. We're getting to that next week. <laughs> okay, on that happy note, let's take a short break and we'll be right back with our second scenario. This is Ethics and Etiquette, and we're ready to start our second everyday dilemma. This also happened to me. A coworker asked my advice on this situation. His daughter was getting married for the second time. The first marriage ended in divorce. She asked her parents if they would consider helping to pay for the second wedding. The daughter has indicated she wants a simple and small wedding. My coworker doesn't want to help pay for it since he paid for the first one. It's the principle of the thing, he says. His wife, however, wants to help pay for the second wedding. What advice would you give him if he came to you with this dilemma? And Mike, I'm going to start with you since you're a father and you've you've paid for one wedding already. Yeah, well, you know, I think this guy faces a pretty clear decision um, because he's got the two most important women in his life asking him to do the same thing. And although he may want to invoke some principle or something, I, my sense is, you know, again, a lot more context we could learn here, but he really wants to, he wants to be involved in this and he wants to help his daughter out and he wants to, he wants to uh, support his wife. So um, I think it's a pretty easy decision. Uh, Sometimes, you know, life doesn't go the way you want it to. And sometimes, kids don't meet your expectations but 
you know, as a dad, I think one of the things you've got to do, same thing applies to moms, of course, but you got to keep, you got to keep voting for your kid. And in this case, he has a chance to vote for his kid. You know, he, first marriage may not have gone, may not have been something he approved of, may not have worked out the way anybody wanted, but he's got to, he's got to cast a vote for his daughter and, um, and help pay for the second wedding. So, I'm just going to take a devil's advocate stance here. Is the implication that one, two, three weddings, doesn't matter, we'll cover them? Um, well, you know, I mean, you have a line in this scenario that says she wants a small and simple wedding. Um, that probably is very appropriate, given that it's a second wedding. And um, and all she has said is that her the daughter has indicated... Um, that she wants a small and simple wedding and she was she has asked her parents to consider helping her pay for that second wedding that's those true are all those are all very easy and i think very appropriate uh they're very easy for people to communicate around um, those requests and it's very appropriate on the daughter's uh side i mean she's she's not demanding she's not insisting she's asking them to consider so you know, again, parents have a chance here to to vote in favor of their kid, and um, and I just think that's so important. Especially, it's not just this event, but then how does it set up the rest of that father daughter relationship going forward? Right. So I mean, you're always building. You're always building to the future. I mean, we throw around the term "paying it forward," but you know, this guy can pay it forward here. That's his. That's his opportunity. Again. I, I don't know some of the context, but if just looking at the looking at what I'm reading here on the page, that's my vote. Okay, I come from a family of five daughters, and uh, my my mother has a second marriage to a man who had three daughters. So uh, they definitely drew a line in the sand that said we are paying for one wedding per daughter. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, that's again, that's that's important context and. Uh, you know, same rule applies to all, and uh, that that's good. Kelly, what do you think? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with your coworker's position. I think it's very reasonable. Um, I have a dear friend whose father is, you know, has a great faith and is very devout. And when one of her sisters remarried, you know, her dad didn't go. He said. I only go to first, yeah, he said, I only go to first weddings. Oh, wow. <laughs> so her mom attended by herself. So, you know, what I would say is it would be great if your coworker, ideal, if he and his wife could come to an agreement, they could talk through it and get on the same page, um, maybe reach a compromise, um, and he could support the wife's position in some way. Um, but if not, I, I think that his position is fair and reasonable. Um, and I would say if they decide to help with the wedding, I would just provide a set amount of money. I would not rely on her assurance that it's going to be a small, simple wedding. I would yeah, just that's say, a, that's you know, a great point, Kelly. Yeah. Here, honey, here's, you know, $1,000. Um, we want to contribute something. When I was discussing this with my coworker, um, you know, you're so right about context being everything. And my sense was that this this daughter was 
she didn't have a sense of um, entitlement about having a second wedding paid for. She did ask her parents if they would consider contributing, and she did want a small, simple wedding in New Hampshire. And and my coworker kept saying, "Well, it's the principle of the thing. You know, I already paid for one wedding. It's the principle. It's the principle." And I said. Well, principles don't keep you warm at night when your entire family is mad at you. And that kind of got to him. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so I said, if I were you, now I, this was a good a co-worker I had a good friendship with. And uh, full disclosure, we often talked each other off the ledge. He had talked me off a ledge with my principles before, too. Um, and I think that my point got to him, and he softened up, and he did agree to pay for the reception and uh, they had a lovely time they had a lovely wedding and and, uh, n- and now the couple I, has two kids <laughs> okay great so and i bet you know i mean you'd have to confirm or deny this morna but i'm guessing that was the right choice for this guy and uh you just had to help him see it but um i've heard so many people kind of come down and and use this idea of having a principle uh, as an excuse for sort of doing the right and loving thing, and um, you know it comes back to comes back to haunt them. But but I also think that you know there are some families that don't even pay for the first wedding. Um, you know some people just do the best they can, um, and I think that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the important thing is making it clear and communicating, um, you know, to your children what you're willing to do as far as helping them financially. Within your means. Absolutely. I mean, when it's a problem, I guess, is when, you know, somebody's very well off and just refuses to help. That, That makes little sense. I've often heard a good rule of thumb is to, um, you know, project a decision out in the future. And the more you project it out in the future, the better the decision is going to be. In this case, you know, the relationship between father and daughter and husband and wife, the, my coworker and his wife, you know, think of it in those terms. How's this going to play out in the future? And I think he made the right decision. He opened his checkbook. And they had a great time. All right. I love a happy ending. I love a happy ending. Okay. We'll be right back with a third Ethical Dilemma and Weddings right after this short break. We're on to our third Ethical Dilemma related to weddings. This one is relates to a conversation I had with a friend and her daughter is um, living and working in New York City and she called her mother with a question. She'd been invited to a wedding and she said that she'd heard that when you are invited to a wedding you should buy a gift that is roughly equal to what it costs the bride's family to host you at the wedding. So if it were a formal sit-down dinner reception, you would need to figure a $100 to $150 value wedding gift. And if it were something simpler and less formal, a less expensive wedding gift. So my friend's daughter wanted to know 
is this true? Is this the rule of thumb? Is this what should I, I should follow? Because she'd recently been invited to a wedding. I have heard this rule. Interestingly, I heard it when I was living in New York. So it might be a New York thing, Mike. You might be able to tell me. <laughs> oh, and also, if you come as a couple, that then you should each you know, should contribute a gift that's equal to the cost to host both of you. So $200, $250. I, uh, I'm not going to agree with this principle. I think you should buy a meaningful wedding gift that you can afford. You can look at the couple's registry. There's usually a, a selection with a range of prices, and you can, you know, buy something for them that is meaningful for you and is something they want. And I think if you always enclose a nice card with a personal message, sending your best wishes and loving thoughts, and attending the wedding, uh, I think that will do it. What do you think, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, I think I've never heard of such a thing. It's just nonsense. (laughs) I mean, you invite people to your wedding, your family and friends, to share and witness and support you and your spouse on this momentous day, period. And that should be enough. You know, their presence, their love, their friendship, and their support, which should carry you through that day, excuse me, and the rest of your life should be enough. There should be no financial expectations. It's not about money. Beautifully said. Yeah, very nice, Kelly. Wow. Once again, you know, how am I supposed to follow you? (laughs) Um, My, I agree with Kelly. I have never heard this sort of, you know, a wedding is not a financial transaction. Um, There's not an equal sign in the middle. And I am of the opinion that the gift should be somehow gauged to the relationship. So if this is a family member, um, perhaps you're on the very high end of the gift scale. If it's just, you know, an acquaintance and it's a very big wedding and you got invited, um, I think probably $50 is the, is the minimum. People throw that number around. I think that's probably pretty appropriate. Um, but there's no expectation that you somehow uh, match the, the spread and the, the, whatever the, the level that the, the, the family has decided to invest in that wedding. So um, I think, I think it's, it's, a, it's not a, I think you, you should give a gift inspired by the relationship that you have with uh, the couple getting married. And that should define how you, how you choose to um, give them a gift. And sometimes that can be uh, just cash because now for couples who are getting married later in life who may have a you know a whole bunch of uh, material possessions already um, you know last thing they need is you know a, a great new stand mixer or you know whatever whatever it was you might have otherwise given them if they were a brand new young couple so right well I was thinking about this last night and if if you felt an obligation to give a hundred, hundred and twenty-five, hundred fifty-dollar gift, then that gift is going to come with a complement of resentment that that was the expectation, and that is that's not what we want to happen. We want a gift to be a love gift, sent from the heart, with the best wishes for 
the couple and their future together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can only do what you can do. I mean, I remember, I don't know, five years after graduating from college, and I think most of us experienced this, a bunch of people got married. And it seemed like, you know, there were 10 or 20 weddings each year for a couple of years. Um, You know, and you're still newly, you know, working. And in my case, I'd finished law school. I had debt. And I just did the best I could. But I I certainly did not cover my cost (laughs) in every case. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's difficult. and, And people are in different you know, financial positions, and that should be considered as well. Yeah, and consider the gift of your presence. In, in the situations you're mentioning, a lot of weddings in a short period of time, as a guest, it often involves the expense of travel and lodging overnight, and, and that adds up fast, you know. But you're there, and that, that would mean everything to me, that, that you were sharing in that event yeah. with me. Yeah, me too. What about if you can't make it to a wedding? Do you send a gift? You know, I think that's back to the relationship. And you you certainly should send a gift if you're a a close family member or dear friend. um, And you otherwise would have been at the wedding, but just circumstances for some reason prevented you from being there. Um, I'll tell you that as a member of the military, when you know, you're deployed, you miss stuff. You miss really, really important stuff. And I think it's it's very, it, again, it, it sends a wonderful message to that, to that young couple that, hey, he or she cared enough. They're thinking of me on this special day, even though I know they had no way of being present. So, again, it's very, very con- contextual, but I think it's a wonderful way to send a message. And, um, so I'm all in favor of that. I do agree. I, I think it depends on the relationship. I don't. I don't know that I have a lot to add because I think Mike really nailed it. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, in any case, I think um, you know some acknowledgement is certainly welcome. If it's not a material gift, it's uh, a phone call or a card with a personal message, or and even an email with a loving personal message. We'll be right back with a fourth bonus scenario for this show on weddings and ethics. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We're going to cover our fourth and final ethical dilemma here related to weddings. And this one is, I have to say, pretty poignant. And I'm curious to hear what my um, panelists are going to say. A friend of mine had never known her biological father, even though he lived within an hour of her. He was never married to her mother. When my friend was in her 20s, she reached out to her father and they started a relationship. Not long after that, my friend got engaged and was planning her wedding. Her father sent his wife, my friend's stepmother, to say that he really wanted to be the one to walk her down the aisle. Would she consider it? Uh, By the way, he wasn't paying for the wedding. So what do you think? Should he walk her down the aisle, Mike? Well, I'm going to give you an answer, which 
I'm sure I'm going to get lots of comments on. So my sense is that in many circles, um, weddings have moved away from the very formal, the very traditional, perhaps even the very religious. And I have seen all sorts of permutations on, on this sort of thing. Um, and, and my thought would be that both the biological father and the stepfather walk the daughter down the aisle. Um, I've seen it done before. So I just think, you know, once again, we're back to, you know, Marnie, you said it beautifully in the last scenario. You want to think about the implications of your decision a year down the line, five years down the line, uh, 10 years down the line. You want to be able to look back on your deathbed and say, hey, that was a really good decision. And I think in this case, um, it's it's the loving thing to do, to let both the father, the biological father with whom the daughter just started a relationship, but that, that could, as we all know, that can be tremendously important in terms of relationships, and also the stepfather. I'm assuming the stepfather raised the daughter. So well, there wasn't a stepfather. I should have mentioned that. I mean, uh, what about the mother? Mother had died. Oh, because, I mean, I've seen moms walk daughters down the aisle. Yeah, right. And it's beautiful. Yeah, that's an option, too. Um, if they're okay, the primary so I missed, parent. Okay, so I missed that in this scenario. So, okay. Um, but anyhow, that's still, that's still where I'm coming from. Yeah, so options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you think in the long-term interest of the the new relationship, that would be a lovely gesture for him to Absolutely. walk her down. Absolutely, yeah. And Kelly? Well, I, I mean, I think it's up to your friend. She should do what she wants and what will make her feel happy and supported. Um, you know, based on the scenario, it, it seems like this might not be what she wants, um, particularly since the wa- the father's wife had to raise the issue, which is a problem in itself. Um, I didn't realize the mother had passed away. I mean, if the mother was paying out of respect for the mom, she might want to speak with her mom about her decision. Um, if she decided she wanted her biological father to walk her down the aisle. Um, on the other hand, if her mother has passed away and her stepfather is paying for the wedding, um, you know, she certainly should, I think, speak with him, you know, prior to finalizing her decision. But ultimately, I think it's up to her. Um, because it's her and her spouse's day. Yeah, and they were paying for the wedding. The couple was paying for the wedding. Uh, I feel like my friend was just not ready to ask her biological father to walk her down the aisle. She still had a little bit of resentment that he was never in her life, even though he was less than an hour away. And so he wasn't part of her upbringing, and that she was the one who had to reach out to him to start a relationship so um, I think in her mind, she was like, well, he hasn't really earned this, this privilege, this honor to walk me down the aisle. So she did not ask him to. She did, however, they did have a father-daughter dance at the reception. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice touch, a way to involve him and do something special for him. Because it's easy to be there for the, the big fun things. It's much more difficult to be a parent day in and day out and deal with the bad as well as the good. Right. 
Yeah, I think this is really a tough situation because he didn't do anything in her first 20 years that a father would do. And now he wants to show up at this very public event and very proudly walk her down the aisle. I supported her on her decision, but I think the dance was a nice thing. Softened it. Oh, and also what I was going to say is you're going to hear this a lot on this show from all of us. We encourage communication. So I think a sit-down with the father, talking honestly, candidly, and gently about the, the reason for her decision would be the way to go. Yeah, it's a tough situation. Um, and, you know, again, a lot of, a lot of pieces are, are missing here in terms of having all the information we need to make a really good decision. But I think, I think Kelly was very wise in saying that, you know, this is where the, the bride gets to, to make the decision. Yeah. I had another coworker, also a single mother, who paid for her daughter's entire wedding. The father was kind of a deadbeat dad and didn't pay for any of the wedding. But um, he walked the daughter down the aisle. And I said to my friend, why didn't you walk her down the aisle? And she said, because I wanted to be sitting in the pew watching her walk down the aisle. I'd been looking forward to that for a long time, and that's where I wanted to be. So that's where she was. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I am exhausted. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how weddings will do that to you, <laughs> especially when you're planning them. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's an intersection of so many factors, family, faith, community, legal. I mean, it's, it's no wonder it's fraught with so many incendiary possibilities, huh? Yeah. We'll be right back with some final thoughts. And welcome back to EndNotes, that portion of our show where we offer you some final thoughts on the topic. Mike, what have you got to say? Well, I think I think talking about weddings today and the, the etiquette of weddings, dare I say even the ethics of weddings, um, is really good because it is such a such a charged event for so many families. And um, it obviously is magnified by social expectations sometimes. It's magnified by, you know, the, the commercial opportunity it it gives to companies that put on weddings and support weddings so there's really a lot at stake here and um, I I was uh, reminded of something that people say in the United Kingdom which is it's in it is it it is its own branch of etiquette so they call it wedicate <laughs> and you know it's it's a it's an entire subset that you know people specialize in um, and so uh, it's great today. Having been through two weddings in the last two years as the father of first a groom and then a bride, um, I'm, I'm very appreciative of us having had this chance to talk about it today. What I would say is money really complicates relationships and money really complicates a lot of things. Um, and you can address that through communication, which we've talked about repeatedly, and I think also it's wise to have 
sort of a view that you're not entitled to anything. I mean, none of us are entitled to anything. So if you're the bride or groom, you're inviting people out of love and just because you want them there on your special day. And if you are a guest, you're not entitled to bring your neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) You're only entitled to bring who's invited. (laughs) So I'm just kidding, but that would be my... My observation. Yeah. Consideration and loving communication over the difficult topics, I think, would be what I would like to leave our listeners with. Keep those lines of communication open and be gentle. I agree. So, hey, one final question, since I'm the only guy on this podcast. (laughs) Um, I don't believe that either of you have been the mother of a bride yet. Is that correct? That's correct. Correct. Okay, so here's what I want to say. You know, we have four wonderful scenarios that we have uh, unpacked and discussed today. I'd like to take these four scenarios, you know, at some point in the future. could be 10 years from now when both of you have been the mother of the bride. All right? And then we'll see where perspectives are. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well... No doubt there there may be some shifts. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like personal yes. experience. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> I have I've had no weddings and I have many theories on weddings, so we'll see. Okay. <laughs> Thank you both for your insights on this matter. That's all for this episode of Ethics and Etiquette. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we're doing, please share, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Please visit our website, ethicsandetiquette.com, for show notes and resources. For Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. We hope you'll join us next week for an all-new episode.